The opinions expressed in the following video are not in their entirety endorsed by this podcast. They are instead the focus of our discussion today. This is your content warning. Jesus turned the water into wine. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. A little wine for thy stomach's sake. These are some of the verses that people try to use to justify alcohol consumption. But what people fail to realize is that the word wine in the Bible is used interchangeably to describe both alcohol and non-alcoholic beverages. For example, Isaiah 65 verse 8 talks about the new wine that is found in the cluster of a grape, referring to juice. So how do we know that when the Bible permits the consumption of wine, that it's only referring to that which is non-alcoholic? Well, because of the fact that the Bible also clearly condemns the consumption of alcohol in large or small doses. For example, in Proverbs 23 verse 31, the Bible says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, referring to the fermentation process. So if the Bible tells us not to look upon it, how much less should we drink it? The Bible also paints alcohol in the negative light and describes it as a tool in the hand of wicked people to take advantage of the innocent according to Habakkuk 2.15. Full sermon about alcohol in the description. Joshua, I feel like we're getting the band back together. Yeah, that's no this joke, is, man. This is this is <laughs> exciting. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, me. So uh, we'll just go ahead and go. We'll go ahead and introduce these guys because uh, they they mean a lot to us personally. So as always, I'm Nathan. This is Joshua. Uh, but we have two guys on today that we have spent probably more than our fair share of time with uh, over the years. Matt Wallace and John Smith. That is his actual name. Are, are both on with us today, former college roommates. Guys, thank you so much for being on. My pleasure. I'm excited. So we uh, there were we all were in the same – I guess it was my freshman year. Um, we were all in the same dorm uh, at Freed Hardeman. Uh, we've since kind of gone our separate ways. Although I do think that since then, John's the only one that's actually moved out of the state. I'm pretty sure everybody else still stays in Tennessee. Traitor. Well, for the record, you moved to two different states before now being in Tennessee. So don't, don't put that on me. Well, I currently reside here, though. <laughs> like, you left, and who knows if you're going to come back or not. It's true. It's true. So, well, he's uh, wearing the Tennessee on his, on his shirt, yeah. uh, representing the, for the home team. I do. Yeah. I do. Well, that's good. Well, guys, I'm excited. Um, as always, if you're brand new to the podcast, welcome in. If you're returning, welcome back. But as always, this is your content warning, a Bible meets culture podcast where we break down biblical content versus modern theology. And this is uh, a bit of a special episode, Joshua, because not only is this episode number 20, which means we're like right on the cusp of doing this for two years now, which yep. kind of hit me the other day, which I thought was like crazy uh, that we've been doing this for as long as we have, that we're that much of gluttons for punishment or other people are if they are still listening to us. Um, but so we're on episode number 20, but this is going to kick off kind of like a series uh, of episodes that we've got coming out, all revolving around uh, contemporary concerns. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting that we're doing that because we're always looking at stuff that, that's circulating around now and is being popular now. And so all these are like contemporary issues, but these are, um, you know, th these are going to be issues that we're going to look at uh, that. I mean, for lack of a better term, they cause a bit of a riff in, in the religious world in general. Some more than others. Some are more prominent right now than others. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're moving beyond things like, uh, I you know for you guys growing up, for me, uh, instrumental music was something that was like highly debated amongst churches. And you just don't hear about that anymore because we've moved on to like whatever the next issue is. Not to say that those aren't, that those aren't conversations that can happen. Um, but for whatever reason, we're moving into some of like these more pressing issues. We're going to tackle one of those today, uh, whether you've been watching or listening to us, you've already seen kind of a glimpse of what that is. We're going to talk about uh, drinking uh, and alcohol in general. Now, the preface to this entire series is the way that we're approaching this is we're not condoning or condemning anything or anybody. Uh, we're taking these videos at face value. We're discussing what their merits are and are not. And I think at the end, we'll kind of wrap it up and we'll, we'll ask a big question. There's a big difference that I think a lot of people don't want to acknowledge, but there's a big difference between what Christians can and what Christians should do um, and, and how that question is always up for debate as well. So, but again, one of those things that we want to, we're also, uh, you know, again, just 
all that out there just for clarification's sake, you know, you want to call it covering your own tail, whatever the case may be. But don't think just because we're going to talk about some some over, I say overly divisive, I don't think they're overly divisive, but just because we're going to talk about what I think most would consider controversial issues doesn't mean we're out here trying to stir the pot, so to speak, right? Yeah, and we're also not intending to force anyone to think our way or, yeah. you know, whatever our opinion is. What we want to do is we just want to look at what the Bible says and and do that to the best of our ability. You know, I, it's kind of like what you were saying, Nathan, about going back to the instrumental music thing. Like, it seems to me that the issues in the church today, like that, that is a intercongregational or an inter or inner body of Christ issue, the issue yeah. of instrumental music. And now it seems that our issues are more external. So like how yeah. culture impacts the church and how the church impacts culture. And this is going to be one of those, um, the, the discussion of alcohol and the Christian's relationship to it. So I'm, I'm excited because we've got two guys here who are, you know, very, very good at, uh, at talking about the Bible and, and th- matters of culture from a biblical perspective. So I'm excited to see what uh, conversations we can get into. Absolutely. So let's just start with this. Let's just go with opening thoughts on the video itself. Cause I know, I know Joshua, you want to approach it from one perspective. I know John down there, John is our, our local, I don't know what to call you. Do I call you doctor in training? Are you a doctor yet? I don't know what to call you. So at this point in time, I would probably most label myself as a scientist. Ah. Um, my clinical rotations have not yet started. I've got my first board exam here in just a few months. Okay. Um, so uh, most definitely not doctor, um, perhaps doctor in training, most accurately right now, scientist. I got you. Cool. So regardless of all of those things, I know John wanted to approach it from more of like a medical perspective. Uh, and then Matt, uh, I say up there in the corner, knowing that by the time this all comes out, Matt may may very well be below me uh, in this grid format that we've got going on. But Matt, you and I are just going to tackle it from whatever perspective we feel like in the moment of time. Sounds great to me. <laughs> all right. So first thoughts on, on the initial video. Give me give me your breakdown. Whoever wants to go first, I don't care. Go ahead. Uh, I'll go I, first. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone at once. Or everyone everybody at once. knew that was going to happen. Awkward silence. This is how it was living together. Either we, none no, of us no, no, no. So, like, um, you know, I, I watched this this video a couple times. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, he was coming from a place where a lot of people tend to come from it, where they're taking a look at what are the black and white verses um, that, that say something about alcohol consumption. Um, and he, he took a few of those, uh, and just laid them out there and made the point where he's like, basically, at least the way that I interpreted it, he tried to, to make a, an argument for, for zero consumption that the Bible teaches zero consumption. Um, and, you know, in, in keeping with the spirit of, of your podcast, you know, there are, there are definitely verses out there that, um, take that seem to take that stance that say something to the effect of it's not a good idea. Um, but then there's other verses that I think the Bible that come to mind as I'm, as I'm watching this video, uh, where either it's Solomon or, or there's an example of somebody or something happening within the Bible or within the context that's, that's a little bit deeper, uh, and gives you a lot more to think about. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, and maybe we can get into it as we go on, but, you know, I think, uh, a lot of Christians are are coming to the Bible for instruction and and reading the Bible in the way that that this gentleman was presenting it, uh, you know, looking for some kind of black and white. But uh, I also think that this gentleman perhaps did not give a complete representation of what exactly it is the Bible teaches. Just my two cents. Go ahead, John. I. I was first very taken back by this video for a couple of reasons. The first one being that the video, the quality of the video was actually really good. I, I thought in, in terms of like, in terms of production, yeah, good production value. Good yeah, production there value. There was there was excellent production quality. Somebody spent money then, on making that, and, and and it was like, well, why does that matter? Because from my experience, you don't see that level of production quality paired with such an extreme prohibitionist view of really anything, but in this instance, alcohol. So that, 
that really put me in a, huh. And then it felt like the video didn't, it felt like the video ended and there was more to the video. So I went looking for the video, trying to find the video and see if it was a, of a bigger context. Now, in so doing, I, I found more information about the individual who spoke and, and the, the, the church that he's a part of and, um, you know, some of those stances. And it put, in my mind, a better frame about where he's coming from, because this idea of black and white, as Matt said, is a very key hallmark of it's a very big cornerstone of, I think, the brand or the, the area of Christian tradition that has a very um, absolutist uh, view of things, uh, both on scripture um, and on theology. Yeah, my first reaction was uh, kind of like yours, John. I thought that the production co- value was like really, really good. And because we, me and Nathan have done this so long, you kind of get used to looking at TikToks in a particular way. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know if you noticed, but it, there seems now like with TikToks and Instagram reels and Facebook reels and things like that, if you see a frame where there's a backdrop and like soft lighting and then a microphone coming down in the face, it's like, oh, this guy is either doing a podcast or making like really a really big thing. It's legit. It's legit, you know, and so you listen to it. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting was he he talks about how like you have Greek words for this and then immediately goes to Isaiah, which was written in Hebrew. And that's an issue for me because I'm a <laughs> language nerd and uh, which we'll talk about the words and what they mean in just a minute. But the fact that he had such an authority out the gate with his production presence uh, and that's what we see with our TikToks all the time, Nathan, the ones that we review, you know, they people watch them for a reason and they don't necessarily watch yeah. them because they agree with them or promote the ideas. They watch them because they're watchable. And this Absolutely. is a very watchable video. Yeah. You know? And I, I would also I, say I some... that as, as far as this content goes, I would much rather someone be making a watchable video that has to do with like the less the lessening of the consumption of alcohol rather than a watchable video about going out and partying and getting hammered all the time. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's part of this part of, you know, that's become such a big part of, of culture in general. Um, And and the reason that we kind of started deciding to do something like this, uh, you say that, you know, the amount of production value that goes into that, it makes me wonder, you know, about us, so to speak. But a lot of these people that are on there, preachers, I know. Right. Well, you know, it is what it is, but, a lot of these people that, that put these videos out, they do that because there is like some authority to what they're saying, right? And that's that's part of the issue that we've seen and, and one of the things that we're trying to address is that just because it's on TikTok, just because it's on YouTube or Facebook or whatever, just because somebody spends money on it doesn't always make it right. Um, and, and so I think that's kind of where this this whole thing comes from. Now, the reason we, we I kind of want to start with this particular topic is because I guess it was back in August this got stirred up uh, in a big way um, in in you know our our faith tradition. Uh, for for anybody that's watching, we're all from the same faith tradition, um, and so there was a a church uh, out in North Carolina that released a or put on their church sign "One Drink Equals Sin," uh, and quoted Ephesians chapter five verse eighteen uh, on that particular sign. Um, that spurred a nationwide debate, and when I say nationwide, I, I literally mean nationwide debate on this particular topic within the churches that we're affiliated with. Lectureship topics started popping up about this. Uh, there were um, workshops about this. You could get on Facebook and see brethren from all over debating this particular thing and, and what it appears. And then you had some that would go off on a side rail and go, hey, guys, is this really the best is this really the best way to have this conversation or would it be better if we all just got down and like sat with one another and talked about it? So I I thought that was interesting that this continues to be across all landscapes of religion, a really debated topic. I think that was the thing that stuck out to me quite a bit because there are some things, um, Josh, when you and I have kind of talked about it, right? There's, there's, there's no such thing as a bad question. 
there are just questions that don't deserve answers, right? Like there, there are things that we can spend more time on that we think are more important, right? And you look at something like this and it, it never ceases to amaze me when you go, okay, is there not, are there not things that we could spend more of our time on? But clearly across all religious paths, this is something that a lot of people have deemed incredibly important and rightfully so in some regards, right? Especially when you take an extremist stance to either one of these degrees and you do so wrongfully, whether knowingly or unknowingly doing that. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of where I, I, I saw this video going that way, because again, you know, I grew up around people that took a, a very strong stance on, you know, that, that idea, one drink equals sin. Um, and, and you had to get into all the what ifs about mouthwashes and, you know, all this other stuff about, uh, you know, the, the, again, playing the what if game to me always seemed pointless because you can't ever win the what if game. There's always another what if. Um, but, but anyway, so you're going down, kind of breaking down this video and i tell you something I didn't do, Joshua, and I wish I had it because I, I feel dumb now, but I didn't do it is I didn't write down every single verse that he references in that video, but you mentioned about how I did. There you go. So, so John's going to rattle those off for you. I knew, I, I knew he pages would. of notes for the record. I knew he would. <laughs> I meant to write it down. It's been, it's been a day, uh, for anybody that's watching this. Um, but uh, you mentioned something, Joshua, specifically that he talks about how there's a different Greek word uh, for for uh, alcoholic and non-alcoholic wine, uh, and then references Isaiah, which was not written in Greek. So go ahead and, and tackle that, if you will, from like a language perspective, and try to do so. Look, I know you're a big language nerd, and I know that you're a super smart guy. Um, I'm not though. So like, explain this to some of our viewers out there who maybe don't have a PhD in biblical languages. Uh, it's, it's really not that difficult to grasp. The only thing I will say as preface is there are brothers who do have PhDs who are very, very smart, who will disagree with what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say comes from the leading authoritative lexicons, which are dictionaries for ancient words. Um, and and the, they, are, they are the only source of validity to use whenever you're studying ancient languages and yet people in our brotherhood will still fight those things. So let's talk about Greek first with Greek. The word for wine is oinos and it refers to wine as an alcoholic beverage. There is another Greek word that refers to the, the juice. I, I remember being in college and, and talking about this and, and I won't say which professor, but one of, one of my professors said, well, the word oinos is so broad that it can refer to the contents of the juice while it's in the grape. But, well, BDAG, which is the lexicon right. talking about, BDAG says that oinos only refers to wine as an alcoholic beverage and that the word trucs refers to the juice as it's still in the grape. There is a difference. Now, take that into Hebrew then. In, uh, Josh, before before you go Hebrew, can I add on to that? Yeah, please. So there are approximately 33, 34 times in which oinos is used in the New Testament, um, depending on which source material you, you want to use. It's very clear from context that the use of the word oinos in the New Testament is strictly used as alcoholic wine, except in one instance. And the only instance in the New Testament in which oinos is actually used for unfermented grape juice is when Jesus is using, I don't want to say the parable, but is talking about new wineskin or new wine and new wineskins. And the word that he uses there, the, the word for new wine there is also oinos, but obviously based upon what he's teaching, the intent for that juice is also fermentation. Right. Um, so I was going to so, talk about that with the Hebrew, oh, no, you're fine. That's that's a great segue into Isaiah 65, 8, which is the verse that is quoted in the video. So the Hebrew word that is used there that's translated in, in most, uh, let's call it literal translations, it's going to be translated as new wine. I use the New English translation, which is a literal translation, but it they take some freedoms to bring it more into our uh, culture, and they translate it juice because you're referring to the liquid as it's in the grape. But here's the thing, and John hit this uh, very, very well, and, and it's very important people understand that context is key 
and context when we're studying a passage of scripture must be defined by culture and language. Okay, now there are other things that go into that, but culture and language are certainly first and foremost. They didn't, the ancient Jews did not really eat grapes the way we go to the store and eat grapes. Grapes were produced for wine and for raisins. Okay, those two things. So one has the juice, one has the juice dried out of it, right? And so when you're talking about new wine, the only difference between that juice and wine is the fermentation process hasn't occurred yet. But, you know, I, I like to say Jesus didn't drink Welch's and neither did anybody else in the ancient world. Was it diluted with water? Certainly it was because the Jews had a huge problem with drunkenness. Like, Do not get drunk. That was their deal. But wine is it was as popular then as drinking a Coke is today. And with that cultural perspective, to say that alcohol or that, you know, they, they were just drinking grape juice or that, you know, alcohol wasn't around or whatever, clearly misses the cultural and linguistic aspect of the text. You just you cannot get around that. Again, I'm not advocating to go out and say, oh, well, the Bible says or the Bible talks about alcohol. Let's get hammered. Not saying that. I'm saying that for them, it was a different world and different time, and we as 21st century Christians have to look at that perspective and take it very seriously. In modern times, um, uh, this was before our time that people would refer to it this way, but it used to be the case where people would refer to um, alcohol as uh, cough syrup. Or a lot, and, and, I, and when I say that, I'm talking about like teenagers, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, oh, I, you know, been having some of grandpa's cough syrup, right? In the vast majority of times when you say cough syrup, if I ask my wife, hey, would you pick up some cough syrup? She knows what I mean because the vast majority of the time, cough syrup means cough syrup. Yeah. But yes, I can use that term not in the way in which it's initially or usually used to mean something else. Um, and that's very much the case of Linus. Not a not a biblical language scholar. Just me neither. That's why that's why I did this with Joshua. <laughs> uh, but no, those and that, those are those are absolutely great points. And so we're going to get to a, a couple of those. Joshua, you made a comment about how we're not we're not advocating like you know going getting hammered, and I'm, we're going to spend a little bit of time here in a minute. Um, talking about some of the so in, in all fairness i watched a different video that he did and he brings up some questions but they're questions that that i've also gotten with people having conversations about this and so i do want to make uh say i want to make a couple of things clear is again we're we're, we're, we're looking at this from the line of what does the bible say about it right when it comes to a language perspective there is the idea that you know, when when people in the New Testament, right, at the exception that, that John was talking about, when the New Testament says wine, it's not, oh, well, that was a different kind of wine. It didn't have this, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it wasn't alcoholic wine. Now, whether and again, one of the big arguments that you'll hear uh, from a lot of people today is, is that the alcohol content of said wine is not as high or as strong um, you know, it would, it wouldn't be, you know, it, you know, it wouldn't be your, your regular, whatever the regular is, 90 proof, hundred proof, whatever that is. Um, you know, it would have been something much, much weaker. Therefore it didn't have the quote unquote alcoholic properties, um, that, that other people that we would associate with today. Right. So like our alcohol today has much, much more of those alcoholic properties than the word that we, or the, the wine that is referred to throughout the, the Bible. So how would you guys respond to, to something like that? Can I start this one? Absolutely. So when uh, I've spent some time researching the, the winemaking process, because I feel like it, it kind of falls into this, um, this concept that people have, have attempted to kind of explain away, uh, one off in such a way when you're making, when you're fermenting something where there's, there's typically water, uh, as, as a, as a base, and then there's sugar and then there's yeast. Uh, and so what we know, what we know of as wine today f ferments that sugar, the yeast eats the sugar and then, uh, 
the waste products are alcohol and carbon dioxide. Uh, so the wine that's made today consumes that the, the yeast in that wine consumes that sugar at varying degrees. So it is possible to have wine of varying strengths of, of alcohol content. Typically that, that yeast stops producing or eating the sugar once the alcohol content gets to be about 18% or so, just depending on what the conditions are and what strain of yeast. In ancient times, they did not have control over the strain of yeast. They didn't even have a concept for what yeast was. Uh, they didn't have microbiology. They didn't have all this knowledge of what happens. All they know is they put some grape juice in a dark room and seven to 10 days later, it's alcohol. Um, so to that effect, they also didn't really have any control over the degree of, of alcohol that they produced, at least not in the same way that we do today. So, you know, like I said, they could have pulled it out six days later and it would have been less alcoholic. They could have pulled it out eight days later and it would have been more alcoholic, so on and so forth. So the question then becomes, what do they do with that final product? And from the research that I've seen is that, yes, they, they did dilute it to with water uh, if it was too strong or they let it ferment longer if it was too sweet. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know, drinking that, that grape juice fresh was not going to be an option for them very long. Um, so you've got varying degrees of alcoholic content uh, in the ancient world, but at the end of the day, it's still wine. Whether it's 2 or 14 or 18%, um, you're still looking at ancient people drinking an alcoholic beverage. And, and that is troublesome to some people to think about because, well, what, what are our options? Did they, did they drink water? Well, yes, they drank water. Did they drink milk? Yes, they drank milk. Did they drink grape juice? Yes, they drank grape juice. They drank many of the same things that we did, but wine was definitely on that menu as well. Yeah. And I think, which again, Matt, to your point, I think that's one of the bigger, uh, I think you kind of hit it on it before. I think that's one of the bigger issues. If you're going to take a zero, uh, you know, a zero, a zero consumption stance, right. Um, to say that nobody in the Bible who, I mean, we would consider to be pretty good people, right. I mean, like the apostles mm -hmm. are recorded at, at a wedding feast and we'll get to this one in just a minute. Um, you know, th those guys drank alcoholic beverages. Uh, again, the degree to which that is alcoholic is just, I mean, it is, I'm trying to think of the right word here, is is guesswork. I mean, it's accurate guesswork, but at the end of the day, it's still just guesswork. But the alcoholic properties were still there to some extent, with the exception of, you know, like dilution, like you were talking about. Um, so I think that that kind of is where the zero becomes a bit of a problem. Um, but anyway, so we'll talk about this too. So here, here's another one for you guys. Because we talked about how, you know, again, we just made comments about how today's alcohol and that alcohol is not the same. So here's another one uh, that he mentioned in another video specifically that I've actually had this question asked to me before, but I want to get your guys' take on it too. If Jesus, because you've all probably heard in some way, form, or fashion, I've heard it taught in Bible classes that uh, we just mentioned the, the wedding feast, right? Jesus' first public miracle where he turned water into wine. Nearly everybody that watches this podcast probably is familiar with that particular account. Um, there is an argument to be made, uh, and again, Joshua, you may disagree with this from a language perspective, but, but here's, here's, there's a follow-up question. So there's an argument that says, well, Jesus could have made something that tasted like regular wine, uh, but was not actually alcoholic. Uh, and I've actually, I, believe it or not, I've heard a Bible class teacher go so far into the point of saying, you know why everybody thought it tasted so much better than the actual wine? is because regular juice tastes better than alcohol. Uh, like, I mean, he went that far with it. Uh, and he didn't happen to give any follow-up to that. That's just, that was his opinion. And so, you know, let it be what it is. Um, but so Jesus did not make actual wine for the people at the wedding feast. And so the, the follow-up to that goes, if he did, now you're accusing Jesus of promoting drunkenness. Right. Like John already knew where this was going. I can tell by the look on his face. That's the argument that that's been had that, that I've heard several times is that Jesus was promoting drunkenness because he created wine to serve to everybody. And everybody's getting drunk. And Ephesians chapter five and verse 18 says, don't get drunk. 
Like that's that's what it says right there. So I want to get your guys' take on it. Matt, John, Joshua, whoever. John, you were laughing. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, this is go ahead. Uh, I've heard that one before uh, myself and you know, I don't want to disparage anybody, but the level of mental gymnastics that is required to come to that conclusion is pretty astounding. Uh, just to, uh, and, and there's, a, there's, I have a little bit of a problem with it too, because then it becomes a question of, you know, claiming, uh, oh, the Bible doesn't really say that. And, you know, that, that's just really awfully convenient when, I think there's a bigger opportunity for us to wrestle with something else, which is, you know, um, and this is not the topic you brought up, but you know, whether, whether or not a Christian should drink, but maybe we'll get into that later in the podcast. Anyway, for this, for this example, you know, I think, uh, that Jesus created wine. I, I, I feel like the Bible says what it says in that, in that miracle. Uh, he was at a wedding at a feast where it was appropriate and, uh, it was a miracle of Jesus. So let's not detract from that either with a discussion or, around the appropriateness of wine. This is, this is Jesus doing something abundantly good for his friends and neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah people use, pe- people use John to, John to, to um, facilitate a conversation that John to was never meant to facilitate, um, which is a, a, a grass, dis- a gross disservice. Uh to that, but Josh, you go ahead because I've got a whole I've got a whole thing I want to spin off of, but it may <laughs> take a minute, so you go right ahead. No, um, it's I think you guys are are on the right track exactly. It keep the main thing the main thing. Um, we need to look at what the point of the text is. I would say though, because I am a language nerd, that the word drunk does appear in the context. Uh, people are complaining to Jesus. In verse ten, I think it is, they say uh, everyone who serves good wine, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. Well, it's like Matt said, where are they? They're at a wedding party. They've run out of wine, which means people have probably been drinking, whether socially or otherwise, for a while. And whether it was diluted or not, it was gone. And then Mary comes to Jesus and says, "They've run out of wine." opening the door for him to perform the miracle. And then at the very end, if you ever want to know what the main point of a biblical passage is, read the last line. It's probably going to tell you. In verse 11, it says, Jesus did, did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. What was the point of it? So he could reveal his, glo- his glory and so people would believe. And that's what John's all about is getting people to believe. So, I'm in full agreement with you guys. I don't think John 2 was ever meant by the apostle to be used as an apologetic or otherwise for the consumption of alcohol in a 21st century social context. It was to show Jesus had the ability to do this and did, and it resulted in belief. Yeah, I don't think that this issue really even came up as a possibility to John as he was writing. He's like, look at this amazing thing instead. Yeah. Do you think John would have left it out if he had known? How, again, look, we try not to speculate too much on here, but it's one of those things. Do you think John would have left that part out if he had known how much issue it was going to cause? Look, I'll tell you right now, know. somebody comes in and turns this water in this coffee mug into Diet Coke. I, I'm probably going to write about it on Facebook. I, I mean, it is what it is. But John, you wanted to you wanted to kind of yeah. roll with something yeah. right there, so go for it. So I'm going to try not to go too deep into a, into a tailspin here. So let's start with let's start with um, what Josh brought up in the term "well drunk." Um, yeah, but, uh, there is there is a chance there. It is a very plausible explanation that what that meant is, is that there were some people who were already hammered. It's also possible that the term "well drunk" being a generality to describe that people were having their fill. Clearly, the uh, the way I take it, the master of the feast was at least coherent enough to be able to determine the difference between good and bad wine. So to, to concretely say that everyone at the place was hammered and, and, and Jesus was, you know, Jesus couldn't have made alcoholic wine because then he would have been promoting even more drunkenness. 
I, I don't think we can necessarily make the assumption that everyone there was drunk, but let's just say they were for argument's sake. Here's the big problem I have with this. You would have to take the position that the creation of something is condoning the abuse of that something. For instance, no one's going to say that Hershey's company condones diabetes or obesity. No one's going to say that Bushmaster and Remington condone mass shootings. Toyota does not condone car crashes. Oxycodone and morphine are fantastic examples of things we have in the medical field. Can they be abused? Absolutely. But do they also have a wonderful use in the right instance? Yes. Jesus does a miracle. And I've never heard this comparison until I was preparing for this. I've never heard this. And it's maybe not a perfect comparison, but I, I think it gets the point across. Jesus is recorded three times, two of which are the same instance, of feeding a multitude. He makes more than is required to feed people. They have tons and tons left over. Does that mean that Jesus was condoning gluttony? Well, no. No one ever comes to that passage, those passages, and say, well, Jesus wouldn't have, Jesus wouldn't have done that because that would have been promoting gluttony. We recognize that the creation of something that not – and again – you would have to make the distinction between people who believe that alcohol is intrinsically sinful versus the abuse of it. So somebody who says that the creation or that wine is intrinsically sinful would have a problem with this argument. I understand that. But for Jesus to create something that could be abused does not mean that he condones the abuse of it. And I think we just really, I say we, generically. Um, I think there's a lot of people who hang their hat on that because that's a really easy, well, Jesus wouldn't have done it because people could, mm, Jesus made a lot of things. God made a lot of things in terms of creation that have since been abused. Does that mean he, oh, if he knew it was going to be abused, he wouldn't have made it? He still would have made it. Um, but I think that's a big part is that the creation of something or the presence of something does not condone the abuse of that thing. Yeah. One quick thing about what you said at the beginning about, you know, how can we assume what the audience was like, you know, were, were they drunk or not? Uh, the, the text in verse 10 does not say they were drunk. People are confused because it's not until, you know, you, you start out on the good wine and then when people are drunk off of the good wine, then you bring out the cheap stuff. Okay. And, and they're confused because now there's the good stuff that you should have started with in the beginning. Okay, there, There's not a statement there that says the people were drunk. But the word that's used there in Greek refers to drunkenness. It's not that they had their fill. It's, it's very clearly uh, that when the guests are off their rocker, okay, when, they're, when they have been intoxicated, then you bring out the bad stuff. Well, the whole the whole thing here is that this wedding did it opposite, at least in the minds of people, because they right. they didn't know. So, but anyways, just wanted to make that that note. But uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Didn't I? So something's like tickling in the back of my mind, and maybe I'm making it up. But isn't there like a thing where weddings in that that day and time were like a multi day affair? Yeah, absolutely. they were at least a week. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, there's ample opportunity over the course of that time for people to avoid drunkenness. And if they were good uh, Jewish or uh, Aramaic people, you know, and that was something that they wanted to avoid, then maybe you know, that's just how they how they rolled. Yeah. But I'm speculating there. Just something that. Came yeah. Up. And again, so not that not that I agree with everything that's portrayed in the particular show. But if you if you've ever watched season one of The Chosen. Uh, which I think season three is currently coming out right now, but season one of The Chosen has an episode dedicated to this event. Uh, and it does a really good job, in my opinion, of depicting what that might have been like. Um, and, and you guys, we, we hit on it earlier, right? Keeping the main thing the main thing. It has nothing to do with with the alcohol that's produced. Like, I mean, they, they kind of almost, almost 
like the you know the 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 wedding master makes like this big spiel about how I can't believe these people would would give the the good wine later, um, but they almost kind of gloss over that part and and they focus on the idea of okay I, I can't I can't pretend that I didn't just see a miracle, uh, you know those that were those that were close to him, which I think is really cool. So if you don't if you have a chance, you might want to go watch that. But it kind of all of that kind of conversation brings us into our, our next little segue here because there's this idea of, okay, we can have a conversation on and on and on and on about can Christians do whatever, right? Do I take a, a zero tolerance policy? Do I, I draw the, like, you know, where do I draw the line? There's, there's always the idea of can. And I think a lot of times what we do uh, as Christians and because, and I bring this up because being in ministry uh, for, I say, as short of a time as I've been in ministry. Joshua, you've been in it a couple of years longer than I have. John was in it for a little while. Um, these questions always kind of come up, right? Can I do this? And I think one of the hesitations that a lot of Christians and a lot of ministers specifically have with questions like this is because there are some questions that you understand the intent behind them, right? Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Right, okay. There's an obvious intent behind asking that question. It's not a great intent, right? But there's nothing malicious or anything like like sometimes that's just because you've got a class clown, sometimes it's genuine curiosity, whatever the case may be. But when you have somebody that comes to you and says, "Hey, can I do this? Is it a sin too?" I think we're naturally skeptical because at least in my experience, the only people that generally ask those questions out loud are those, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but again, this is just in my experience, are those that are trying to justify behavior that they're already doing and 95% of the time are slightly uncomfortable with. Um, and, and so that's that, that's just been my personal experience. I would say the majority of the people I hear ask a question in that way come from a faith tradition where the view of God is he's hovering over you over you waiting for you to mess up, um, which I don't think is a, a good way to view that. But I feel like the individuals, the only individuals I've heard phrase a question like that, and, and I have, are people who are scared that as soon as they do something that might be wrong, right. eternal damnation. Right. Um, and if you if you don't pray or before you die, then your sins so can't be I, I don't, at this point in my life, I don't, um, junk, okay. Um, sorry for that. I my cat appeared for those listening. I don't feel as though even people who ask that typically have a malicious intent or are just trying right. to get away with something. Right. I think they have in their minds ingrained this idea that one misstep and it's all over type of mentality. And they're trying to figure out where they sit on that spectrum. Yeah. So I don't. I don't mean to say that those that ask that question have a malicious intent. Um, but like I said, especially the, a youth ministry background, being asked that question by like teens and whatnot. I think again, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you, John. Like people that ask that question, especially from like a teenager perspective, they're asking said question because they've already done something and they want to know if what they've done is wrong or something along those lines. Or those that you know, are trying to justify their stance, which they've already kind of gotten set in place. Um, but again, that, that's why I, I think that there's a better way to ask this question, right? Is can I have, is, you know, like I referenced the, the church bulletin board or billboard rather sign out front uh, that said one drink equals sin. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's a, I think that question is missing the point entirely. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know that that's the conversation that you need to have because I think, and oftentimes what the Bible does, again, we're not trying to condemn or condone any body, uh, but what the Bible speaks to, uh, is, is drunkenness. And so again, you guys have probably all been here before. The next logical question that comes up, right, is if we can all agree that the Bible con condemns drunkenness. The next logical question always becomes, okay, so how do you define what that is, right? Because mm -hmm. again, the verse references Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen, uh, which I've got. Where does it say? Right here. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, right? It's always uh, and and any time that the Bible speak, I say this. Joshua, correct me. John, correct. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong in this, but nearly every time the Bible speaks to some sort of drunkenness, 
it's always followed up with a call to self-control, right? Like there's got to be some sort of there. Look, there's, there's repercussions for those that are drunk. Uh, I don't think any Christian would argue that drunkenness is beneficial for Christian living. Uh, if you are a Christian that, that believes that, I would like to have a conversation with you. Not in a mean way. I just would really like to hear your point of view. The only the only instance I can think of that might, uh, in a different way than what you're intending, might be different as far as the benefit of drunkenness is in Proverbs right. 31. So Proverbs 31 we know of with the, with the virtuous woman section. Mm-hmm. Much more neglected than that is the section beforehand about uh, the role of a king and things of that nature. And, and it says quite plainly, uh, kings should stay away from strong drink. You have to have a sharp mind. You have to be able to make decisions and you don't need anything to impair you in that way. And then it says, give the strong drink to the one who is dying and the one who is suffering. And I don't remember who said it, but it was some biblical scholar that I listened to on YouTube. And I wish I could remember who it was said, you know, in their day, that would be very similar to giving someone morphine. Yeah. You know, to at the end of their life to comfort them or whatever. Well, would that technically be drunkenness? Well, if right. you're drinking so much that you can't feel anything, or that you know your your in intuition and inabilities have have gone away, right? Then yeah, that probably that's would. That's the, the only that's the only time in scripture though right. that I could think that there would be a yeah. benefit, and it's in such a specific context. Right. No, I understand that. Well, and it kind of points to too. Uh, the the guy in the video even said that the Bible uh, repeatedly paints alcohol and drinking in a in a very negative light. Right. Um, which I, I kind of see the opposite, honestly, uh, from time to time. And you know, right there is is kind of a, an example of that. Um, not really painted in evil light right there. Like the wedding feast that we were just talking yeah. about, nothing there is painted in, in an evil light. That was just, that was a comment that stuck out to me, but kind of getting back to that original question. Cause again, that's the natural follow up for most people, right? Is if the Bible condemns drunkenness, where do you draw that line? Uh, and I know that that is, uh, that has become a very difficult question for, for a lot of people. Um, and this is where I, I feel like, you know, you, you were talking about whenever we kick this off about this being like contemporary concerns. Consumption of alcohol is not a contemporary concern. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nathan, but it, it's come up in every generation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the reason for that is very good is because people uh, people really struggle and, and even die as a result of alcoholism and and that scares people uh and that and that fear is what makes videos like what we're commenting on uh, extremely popular and and what makes views such as uh abstaining from alcohol so so easy to gravitate towards uh, because it's like well if it is an issue why even deal with it in the first place you know why even why even uh, invite this in your life uh, and i think I think the Bible uh, has some uh, some uh, affirmation of that, like what you guys were talking about. It's like, you know, in uh, in in certain in many instances, and even the guy in the video was talking about this. In many instances in the Bible, it's absolutely disparaging alcohol, but in other instances of the Bible, uh, it's not. So, you know, somebody who's who's asking these questions of should I, shouldn't I? Well. You know, it, it depends on your context. It it depends on, uh, well, do you live in Europe? Do you live somewhere where uh, this is part of the culture, uh, where you know you have uh, ample resources to uh, have education around the topic and know your limits and and so on and so forth, or do you live somewhere like in Southeast United States where it's outright condemned on the regular basis? You know, and, and people are, I think, by and large, extremely comfortable with that. And I feel like in the church, we we often have, uh, we kind of do ourselves a disservice of not having uh, that conversation with each other. Um, but I, I think it's incredibly important in a Christian's walk to be uh, that, that well in tune with not only yourself, but also other people around you so that you know whether or not it's a good decision for you. Yeah. Um, and I, I even almost hesitate to say that because, you know, I feel like a lot of people 
outright disagree with me on that point. And I, I completely respect the position if somebody doesn't want to drink, um, then that's, you know, more power to you. You know, I wish more people would take that control over their lives. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, it's taken us almost an hour to discuss this topic, for example. Right. But oftentimes it's just easier to say no. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like, you, you know, it's taken almost an hour and, and anybody watching or listening can just rest assured we could be on here for another three uh, if we really yeah. wanted to. We're not. Uh, don't worry, John. We're not. But you could we could be on here for another three talking about this particular him. yeah we, we we really could um that's that's just and i don't want to say that's just how much nuance it goes that goes into it but it's just it's one of those you know again matt you were talking about this isn't really a contemporary concern it's not new right but it it does have a, a pretty good foothold in our yeah. generation the generation coming up like i mean it's still something that is is talked about and is preached on and so it becomes one of those things uh, you were talking about the the culture or the context of which that you're drinking. Um, I, I know of, of multiple people uh, who, again, right, wrong or indifferent, however you, you know, however you view to see this. I know multiple people uh, who have been given prescriptions for wine specifically for anxiety because mm -hmm. they don't want to be on antidepressants or they want to be on a lower level of antidepressants or uh because of actually one gentleman that i know of he has to he is doctor prescribed to drink a glass of wine a day for heart health believe it or not um that one was new to me uh if if i you know i've heard i've heard dark chocolate helps with that sort of thing but i've, I've never heard of, of the wine but it, but anyway so yeah i think your your context there uh, is is a big key too. Um, well, Nathan, to me, the issue is not whether or not you can have a drink or not have a drink. We right. frame it in that way because we, and to Matt's uh, point, we have been conditioned where we are to think, well, if you take one step this way or one step this way, if it's the wrong step, God's going to cut right. you down. Uh, the issue to me is way broader than that. And it's the yeah. issue of Christian freedom versus self-control. Right. And there is there is a balance in there because uh, Colossians chapter we don't have time to talk about it we don't have time to get into it but for our listeners who want to go back and read it Colossians two is all about Christian freedom you know you are free in Christ you can do what you want and then Colossians three one says set your mind on things above so do you know your mind has to be set there first to dictate yeah. what you do yeah. and I would argue that self control is the greatest aspect uh, because it's the Absolutely. final one of the fruit of the spirit and, and it kind of defines all the other aspects of the fruit of the spirit as well. So, you know, Christian freedom versus self-control. We're getting down to the wire. I'm, I said, I wasn't going to, but I'm going to give my opinion on it. Um, if you have a drink, I do not think that that is enough to cause you to lose yourself. If extending, however, it is a whole lot easier to avoid drunkenness if you never take the first drop. And so wrestle with that in your own mind to balance Christian freedom and, and uh, self-control. And, and that's something that we can't tell you what to do with it. That's something that you and your spiritual walk have to come to yourself. Yeah. And I wish we had a little bit more time um, just because I think that I think, I think part I two, again. part two, Here I go part again. two. Uh, but I think most of us would be pretty comfortable in saying that there are certain instances in which a drink of alcohol would be considered sinful. Uh, mm. For example, if you're drinking underage, right, like you're violating the laws that we live under. Um, we're told not to do that. If it's violating your conscience, uh, you're told not to live in those ways. If it's causing a believer to stumble in their own faith walk, mm -hmm. Paul is very explicit. Mm -hmm. and why that's not a good idea. And I think this all kind of, again, I, I think we ask it in the wrong frame of mind because, again, we talk about is it allowed, is it not allowed. Um, I think the frame of mind that we should be asking it in, Joshua, in the same way that you were standing, is this idea of having self-control with it. Uh, but Paul's words that says, you know, just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's always beneficial, um, I think is always a good stance to take on, on just about anything in life. Just because I can do it doesn't always mean I should do it. Uh, doesn't mean I can't do it, but it doesn't always mean I should do it too. And I think part of living a self-controlled Christian life is being mature and wise enough to understand which situations those are and are not. And we buried my uh, 
grandfather-in-law about a month ago because the four of us were supposed to get together and I wasn't able to go because of that. My grandfather-in-law was an alcoholic all of his life until the past, I think, 12 years, and he was an old man at that point. And I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily that the devil had a hold on him. He was the devil in a lot of those instances. You know, he, he, he was an evil man with alcohol. And then he got sober, and he was sober for, I think, 12 years and became one of the greatest Christian men that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Okay? Would I take him? Would I take him even to like TGI Fridays where I know that there's going to be a bar there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because that's going to be a temptation to him, just like what you said. You know, if you're going to it, be wise, I think is, is what we're ultimately trying to say here. Yeah. John, what you got wrapping up? Um, I mean, a ton, but I'll just, to, to finish, nah, it's fun. Uh, we may to need finish, to do a part two. I would love to. I, that would I, be fun. I genuinely would. Um, but I'll, I'll go off of what Joshua said, I guess, to wrap up on my side of things. I, when I have an individual who's in front of me in the clinic, uh, a person who has a BMI of 21, versus a BMI of 35, uh, whose A1C is 10 versus 5.5. I'm going to counsel those people a little differently as it relates to diet. Um, Not because one person deserves more or I'm trying to shame one person or anything of that nature. But a slice of chocolate cake, for instance, is going to be received by the body differently for those two people. And that's just the nature of things. That's, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. It just, it's what is. And so I a hundred percent agree with you, Joshua, where, you know, I would not take somebody who struggles with alcohol to wine tasting. Um, never been to one myself, but in, in general, the, the, the concept applies. Um, but here's where I, I, I want to, I guess I want to put my stamp on this, and this is my biggest aggravation about this topic and several other topics, and I'll, I'll shut up. When we arrive at a conclusion as far as what we should do or shouldn't do as a Christian, we have to understand, okay, did I arrive at this conclusion because it's a commandment from Scripture or because I find it the most prudent decision? Because those two things carry different weight. Yeah. What I struggle with and what bothers me the most is when people arrive at a decision on a stance based upon what is perhaps most prudent and bind it on other people as though it's a commandment. And that I have the biggest issue with. And I think some people try to do that with this with this conversation. In both directions. Um, yeah. In both directions, sure. And that's your next podcast topic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh me, Matt. Do you have anything as we kind of as we kind of wrap no, up? I, this yeah, I, I was part of a, a Wednesday night Bible class. Or I was in attendance and just listening to um, one of our former professors that I know we all took classes with. But he was he was talking on First Corinthians eight through ten, and, and Paul talking about meat sacrificed to idols, which is today not an issue, but a lot right. of people. A lot of people point to that on the topic of alcohol, and, I, and I'd say that that's a that's a good one to chew on. That's a good one to chew on as as far as it comes to uh, working out your own salvation. So, well, good deal, guys. Thank you so much for being on. This is uh, John and Matt. Uh, I, I didn't even get to talk about it. alcohol uh, dehydrogenase. Oh, aldehyde dehydrogenase. And well, you can send your thanks to yeah. at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, stick around. Keep keep tuning in to us. Maybe there will be a part two on this particular topic uh, in the in the near future. So we'll we'll see if we can't all get together and make that happen. John actually had the idea. We should have all just gotten together at Wimpy's over in Greenfield and recorded this whole thing. So unfortunately, couldn't make that happen. But uh, been trying for two years now. It's been crazy, right? It's been absolutely crazy. Uh, but thank you guys so much for being on. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, hopes, dreams, dances, let myself or Joshua know we're, we're relatively easy to find. 
you can comment on this video. Uh, you can find, again, if you've already found the video, you know where to find us. But we're on, on YouTube, Spotify, or basically wherever you can listen to or watch podcasts. Guys, uh, I appreciate you guys being on so much. Joshua, it's been a pleasure as always. If anybody doesn't have anything else, last call? No? Oh, see? Oops, I made an alcohol joke. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to do that. That's an auctioneer joke. Is it an, yeah, it is an auctioneer joke. You're right. I grew up with an auctioneer. Subconsciously, that's what it was. So I'm an auctioneer's kid. Anyway, it is what it is. But guys, thank you so much for thank you so much for tuning in. Maybe this will be maybe we'll, maybe this will be part one. We'll we'll see. But uh, until next time, guys, thank you so much.